This podcast contains swear words. Hello and welcome to Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, a podcast about art making, creativity, not giving up. Yes, I'm talking to you, not giving up and living well in the process, even during a pandemic. And although I'm coming from the perspective of a performing artist, the issues and strategies here are applicable to all of us, whether you consider yourself an artist or no. Living is a creative act. I'm your host, Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, a choreographer, dancer, actor, writer, and educator living on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples on the west coast of Canada. And before we dive into episode number 24, can you believe it? Well done. Yes, me. Just a gentle reminder to please rate and review, share this podcast. And if it is within your means, a donation, however small, however big, really does make a big difference to those of us working in the arts. You can donate by going to TaraCheyenne.com, upper right-hand corner, donate button. Or we will put the donation link in the show notes. We really appreciate you listening and donating if you can. And now a segment I like to call Notes from the Studio. And right now it's not the studio. It's the bedroom the bedroom studio or the living room studio, or sometimes the playground while my kid is swinging around at a safe distance with a mask on from the other children. I'm the weird parent doing the moves as small as I can talking to myself in the corner. Why doesn't anybody come and talk to me? I wonder why, Tara. I wonder why. What I've been thinking about in this time is relationship and what is my relationship to myself as an artist, my physical self, my emotional self, my mental self, what is my relationship to and the work's relationship to the collaborators I work with, my fellow artists, what is my relationship to and what is the work's relationship to the audience and that exchange, which is different right now, but I think at the heart it needs to remain the same. It needs to remain true, uh, have integrity. So I just want to offer this as a question for all of us making art or witnessing art, maybe, I hate to use the word consuming art, but you know, taking it in, nourishing ourselves with online performances or taking classes or reading. Um, maybe there's a distant performance you've seen. Gosh, I hope so. And the importance of how we're relating and that this isn't one-sided at all. This is very much always a conversation, a stimulating of ideas and questions always happening. And to share a little bit more, at the beginning of January, I will be filming this solo that I've made and I've made it in community with a lot of great artists who have being my outside eye, my dramaturges, my mentors, my monitors, my co-conspirators. 
And what I'm really thinking about is how do I stay in relationship to my audience, to you, even though you're watching, you will be watching, I hope, on your computer or your phone. Maybe computer would be better. If you're watching it on your phone, I feel like that's going to be too small, but that's a conversation for us to have at a later date. But how do I stay with you when you're not here right now, when I'm talking to you in the future? And how do I stay embodied when I am projecting myself into the camera, into your living room, into another time when you will be watching? So they're like, they're kind of existential kind of crazy questions. And I think there's value in kind of like getting into the the mindfuck of all of that. And I also think there is value in just talking to each other through whatever art we are making, offering, witnessing, taking in. So I just want to, I want to ask that question and um, there's no easy answers to the relationship and it does kind of spiral back and to my relationship to the work. And in these times, it's become more kind of clear to me that this is what I want to do. I want to have this sharing, this conversation, this exchange with you and the you is the audience or the colleague, the collaborator, the friend, and maybe multiplicit and maybe singular. But I guess it kind of always is singular because you are you, you know? Ooh. Yeah, I just kind of like, I feel like a snake eating my own tail. Anyway, let's think about that. And please let me know your thoughts. What do you think about relationship to art making right now, to the audience, to yourself as art maker, body making art, emotions making art, mind making art? You can reach out info at terrashyan.com, my email, TCP on Instagram or Performance on Facebook. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. And now my interview with Harmony Rose. God, I love that name. Harmony is a disabled dance artist here on the West Coast of Canada. Originally from Treaty 6 territory, also known as Edmonton, Alberta, she's the co-founder of iDance in 2008, which is now known as Cripsy. And since 2014, Harmony has been working as a performer, choreographer, facilitator, and teacher for the award-winning All Bodies Dance Project and as a facilitator for Ready Dance, an all-bodies youth project. And I'm so happy that Harmony had time to talk to me. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. So many amazing concepts and ideas that really sparked my imagination and refreshed that tired pandemic. Oh God, I got to keep going. Um, Ideas about sanctuary, ideas about the audience or audiencing. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I uh, am so looking forward to seeing Harmony dance again. She's an amazing dancer. And if you are on the West Coast of Canada, you might, I hope, get a chance to see her live. But I'm going to link to several of her dance projects so you can see her work as a dancer, and as a choreographer. So, Harmony Rose, you are associate artist and teacher with All Bodies Dance. 
And you are currently situated in, I read this in your bio, so-called Vancouver, which I super love. And you have been here for how many years now? So I've lived in like the greater Vancouver area for the last seven years now and um, Vancouver proper for about three and a few months now. So that's been really great to be in the city and not have to commute. I was commuting from Port Coquitlam to Vancouver two hours a day just so I could dance with All Bodies Dance. Oh, wow. That's a lot of commuting. Yep. But it was worth it. It's great company. (laughs) Yeah, it is such a great company. And I'll, of course, link to All Bodies in the show notes. There's just been so much great work happening. And you're a choreographer and a dancer with the company. And how long have you been with All Bodies? Because I know you you had another company. You came to us from Edmonton. Is that right? Correct. Right. Yeah. I started dancing in Edmonton about 14 years ago now, and there was no integrated dance. Somebody just wanted to do an integrated dance piece and was looking for two wheelchair users and happened to find my friend who dragged me along. And I was like, I'm not going to like it. And it turned out that I loved it and I couldn't stop. And so here I am 14 years later. My goodness. Yeah. And so the three of us worked together to actually create integrated dance in Edmonton. So I was instrumental in helping bring an inclusive mixed ability community to Vancouver and helped found iDance Edmonton, which is now known as Cripsy. I've recently joined the board of Cripsy, so I can still, thanks to Zoom and uh, this online COVID world, I've been able to help support artists in Edmonton um, and give back to that community a little bit. That gave me so much. So then I came out here because I wanted a fresh start and I wanted less snow. (laughs) And at the exact same time (laughs) that I came out here, All Bodies started their first project. And it was very serendipitous. And I'd known Naomi from Calgary when she was working for Momo Dance Theater. So it was a great connection to make. And she was like, oh, you want to do more stuff? Oh, you want to learn how to facilitate? I'll help you. And so I was brought right in on the team like right away. So while I didn't found All Bodies Dance, I've been with it since the very beginning and helpful in the formation of it as everybody. One of the things I love about All Bodies Dance is to backtrack on that is it is what the people make of it. So the people who are invested and are interested are the ones who've helped shape the company and help create this inclusive, wonderful family that it is. That is so important and amazing. And I feel like it's, I hope, like the future of of art making. When I see, and listeners, if you haven't seen any All Bodies performances, go to the website. There's some really great films and some of Harmony's films. And what I love, and this is, you know, my aesthetic too, is that I see everybody's personality. Like I see who you are. Sometimes when you watch, especially dance, there's, I don't know, less of the essence of the person. And we're, you know, we're trying to blend together and, and, and that idea, which is a different aesthetic. And, and so I, I really, I love that. And just what you said about it's who the dancers, it's who the artists are that make it, which is so very, very true. Okay. I want to like back up. You told me about, so 14 years ago, you get dragged to do a dance project. Yeah. And then realize that you love it. Tell me that moment. There's something about that moment. I feel like for dance artists, because you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm a dancer. 
how did that happen? I know I'm always telling my story like, okay, let me, okay. You know, in the time I had to like convince my dad that I shouldn't, you know, just drop it and get a real job, which I haven't yet. So can you tell me about like how that happened for you? Yeah, it's definitely one of those moments that is like etched into my brain. And I feel like I've told this story a lot and have written about it, but I think it's really important to say For me, I was just transitioning to using a manual wheelchair from using crutches and had just undergone a couple of surgeries that changed how I moved. And so far, all I knew about disability, it was still so new to me. Like everything was so new to me. Access, the need to always make access for yourself and make space for yourself was so new to me. And I remember my mother's voice in my head going, once you're in a wheelchair, your life is over. And I think like, I'm not putting that my mom being negative. It's just my mom didn't know any better because that is what she was taught and how the society really does view people in chairs. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. But I've learned through dance, through this moment. Okay, getting to the moment now. (laughs) I go into the rehearsal process and they're like, okay, we're going to warm up. And one of her very first instructions was, now move in a way that feels good to you. And it was, I had to pause and I was like, wait a sec, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it was to just give myself permission to not just wheel my chair to do one specific task, to wheel my chair to do another specific task. It was, I just get to find out how this chair moves, how I move in the chair, what is the freedom. And there is some beautiful freedom with chairs when you glide and when you spin and how it goes through your body. These things are beautiful and luscious. And if you're not given permission or the space to really explore what that is, I can see how you get trapped in this mindset that my life is over. But it was that moment where my life really started to begin. And that's why I love dance. Because for me, it was transformative. I learned more about my body. I learned more about disability. I learned more about other people. I've been able to travel with dance. I've been able to explore something that fascinates me and learn how to be in this world. I've learned compassion and caring and met folks that are so compassionate and so caring through the type of dance that I do that I wouldn't ever change my mind or go backwards. Oh, you're like, you're, when you're in, you're in, right? This is it. What you'd said at the beginning, like move how you want to move, like feel your body and being embodied, be the liberation of, of sensation. When I watch you dance in particular, I remember seeing you dance. You were in yellow outside the roundhouse. I can't remember the name of the piece. It'll come to me. You probably remember. That was Sanctuary, the live version. The live version. Oh, right. Okay. So what I observed is watching, and this is one of my favorite things about my favorite dancers, is I can feel you feeling. So I can feel you experiencing movement, which is like such a huge gift to be able to, for a performer to be able to share that. Because to me, that's what we're doing. We're sharing experience as opposed to, you know, we are making beautiful, beautiful pictures, of course, as well. We're, we're seeing the beauty of the movement, but there's something for me that, that is really special about that. When you talked about movement, is it Alice Shepard's Inclinations film? Yeah, 
Alice Shepard is stunning and she's definitely one of my mentors uh, and I reach out to her whenever I need advice or somebody to write a little um, letter to be like, work with Harmony. She's great. Uh, yes. <laughs> she's always there to help me. I love her. But what she said about inclinations and why she created a ramp was she went to a bunch of MIT students and said, I want to create a ramp that shows all of the like lusciousness of a ramp. And she like used those words like luscious, desirable, because when you hit the right curve or like the right downhill and the right churn and the right curve, it can be this sensuous experience. And so she worked with these MIT students to create a ramp. So when they got the finished product, the finished ramp, they had to relearn how to move and dance on it because it was a completely different way of moving and dancing. And Alice ate that up. Alice was like, this is what movement should be. It should be a constant learning process of how do I move when I'm on a ramp? How, what's my new embodiment here? And disability does all of that. Disability dance artists do all of that because every single one of us has a different way of moving and a different way of being in our body. Um, some muscles work, some don't, and it creates a whole new picture of what a body should look like. And Alice is passionate about working with disabled dance artists and boosting them up and helping them figure out what their dance aesthetic is and how to make that better. So mentioning Alice Shepard and her sensuous love of movement and dance. Yeah. Then those words like luscious and sensual and it's that sensation again too. And the, yeah, I'll link to the film. The film is really wonderful. I'm just going to go right into the, the other film, which premiered at the Vines Festival, Parts of Me, which you choreographed for another dancer. And do you want to talk about that? Because that, that film is so sensual and so tactile. Um, yeah. So with COVID, I had to rethink about how I wanted to work. Originally, I had this beautiful idea of having five or six dancers, having a bunch of different pieces of equipment and how that can all work together and how everybody can be moving the equipment and the permission of moving other people's equipment. It was this thought. And then I had to rethink about it. And I knew that I wanted to work with multiple pieces of equipment. And my friend and fellow dancer, Janice Lawrence, has several pieces of equipment and had always wanted to do a dance with all of her different ways of moving. So she agreed right away. I worked very somatically with her of her creating the movement of giving her cues and prompts to create the movement and then refining it and making it and working with each different piece of equipment. And then how does that become a journey from like one equipment to the other? And then, oh, what is it like when you have a wheelchair and crutches or when you have a wheelchair and a walker. And I think at one point I have wheelchair, crutches, walker, cane, <laughs> all together. Um, and Janice did such a beautiful job and the whole dance is really from her experience and her embodiment. And she worked very hard this summer and bringing all of that forward. And yeah, I think she did a, beautiful job for it being her very first solo and slash professional work. Oh, wow. That was her first. Wow. Yeah. It is really remarkable. And the, yeah, the integration and just like seeing the 
fluidity and the, her body continue yeah. with the equipment is really remarkable. I have so many questions for you. We could probably talk for a long time. <laughs> so I'll link to all your film work. And some of it is not up yet. There's the Duet Sanctuary, which is a film now. So it went from the, the live version with Rianne Svelness. And you made that pre-COVID, right? Because that came out in 2019. Yeah, the film came out in 2019. We created it for Vines as a live collaboration. We tried to make a piece outside that that could be moved to different locations. And we realized that it was a piece that was specific to the roundhouse. That's where it was home. And that's where the sanctuary was built because it really became a piece of how do we dance outside? How do we dance with loud traffic, people walking by, people stopping and eating their lunch in the same space? There was a playground noise. There was window washers. It was such a live space. And how do you how do you let all of that go or bring that into your piece? And it became a process. So our process of learning how to work in that space became the dance, which was a beautiful, yeah, the work I did with Rihanna was such a beautiful collaboration. It was both of us giving ideas and both of us sharing and being so, so genuine to the process and being in process the whole time. And when we decided to make it to a film, so the live piece was 17 minutes. We tried to make it smaller and it just <laughs> kept going on and on and was 17 minutes. When we made it into a film, we just pulled out the essence of it and it was less than four minutes. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. And you'd said something that I think was really great that to continually be in process, which I, I think is so important as artists because that's where we spend most of our time is in process. So kind of honoring the continuation and not just looking for the, the end. Yeah. You can see it in the film. Um, I'll make sure to update when it is available to see somewhere. And um, you also were talking about, you know, like just adapting to the sound, things going on and being outside. And I feel like that's so applicable right now Yeah, to how we're practicing, how we're um, kind of low abusing the word pivot because we keep, you know, it's like, how are you pivoting your art? How are you pivoting your practice? But is that experience for you? Are you finding that in your practice now? I think so. Even if you're moving it on Zoom and dancing out of your living room, or if you've been finding outdoor spaces to practice or dance, I feel like there's a sense of being watched for some reason, being watched or the very absence of being watched, that's not the same as being in a studio. I feel like there's already a sanctuary built into a studio, whereas you kind of have to build a sanctuary into your house or you have to build a sanctuary outside. So it's very, I think that process, being in process and being able to learn how to be in negotiation with everything that's happening while you're in process of dancing, it's an important an important piece to the art we're making. Um, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. All Bodies right now is, and I don't think it's like going to be a project to be watched yet, but we've been working outside on a rooftop. Um, so private, but massive space. And there's something about dancing with masks from six feet apart, but in this massive live space of a rooftop. 
because it's Vancouver. You, you don't feel alone on a rooftop. You have crane operators, buildings, and all of the space and the mountains. Um, it's another way of learning how to be, how to dance, feeling exposed, and yet being able to go internal. It's really beautiful. And, and you use the word sanctuary too, the name of the piece, and also that finding that place where you can be creative and kind of like open up the conduit of your art making. But in these places that are exposed or open, that public private thing, which I feel like that's like for all of us right now, I feel like that's something important to think about is like, how can you make your sanctuary as you say, like, how can you make it in your home or in the playground, you know, I end up just like when my kid's playing in the playground, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta dance. I gotta dance. Um, like what is that mother doing over there? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But wherever we can, that's, I mean, the image of dancing on a rooftop. Oh, I, I hope that's a film or a performance or fingers crossed. I don't know. We don't know what it'll be something. Yeah. It's, And it's interesting that we as performers in the work or, yeah, we're working on something that we don't know what the something is. And I think that has something that that is COVID right there is trying to figure out what this new world, what does dance mean post COVID? What does dance mean dancing together? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Do we want to create another dance film? Is there too many dance films out there right now? (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question I well I worked on the one this summer with Janice and I'm working on another one um through a Canada Council digital short grant with my friend Kelsey Acton who's living in the UK and I know All Bodies is doing another one with the community members so there's a lot of dance films within like my own sphere and I know so many other people who've done great dance film work that I feel, I don't know how to explain, it's overloaded with film work and all these virtual festivals, they're lovely, but I don't know if they replace that feeling of dancing for an audience or feeling that that connection to an audience, the responsiveness of an audience. I miss it. It's one of these things I can talk all of the time about all of the stuff that I'm doing and how I'm keeping busy, but I do miss preparing and learning how to dance for live audience in some way. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same way. I wonder about your thoughts on this is if we're going to go through this, like, okay, everything's got to be on screen. Everybody go, 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 (laughs) move, move, put it on camera. If we will find other ways, you know, if there will be like, okay, you got to go to this apartment over here and you have to go up to the eighth floor to see the dance happening on the roof. Like, will we come up with other ways because of the craving to be actually live with each other? I know. I know that musicians, there was so many, I would go for long walks along the seawall and there would be all of these um, porch performances. And those were beautiful. Just happen upon live music but even then I would happen upon for a song or two and then leave it's not this I'm sitting and I'm sitting I'm preparing to go I'm sitting through and enjoying or experiencing and then afterwards you feel this relief of having seen everything and you have time to absorb in some way it's no the setup is no longer there it's this 
waving in, weaving out. And I missed the setup. Is that weird? <laughs> no, I totally get that. It's like, it's maybe it's a, a different kind of sanctuary. Um, <laughs> just like overuse the word now, but <laughs> that would like kind of a framing or containing an experience, a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing I think post COVID that will stick is this extra appreciation for the work that the audience does for a work. Like what is the audience's role? How crucial is it for that live feedback? Because the knowledge of that's always been there, but the importance of it hasn't been forefronted as much as I think it will be once we can finally really be with an audience again. That's such a good point. And it's so true. It's like the other side of the conversation. It's like hearing somebody talk on the phone. And you're like, yeah, that's fascinating. But what's the other person saying? And I feel like, um, like that might be something really crucial to our form of really appreciating and taking care of what the audience brings, what that interaction is about, how we are together. Yeah. Yeah. It's that sensitivity, I think. And yeah, I believe that there's been a lot more thought around sensitivity of work, sensitivity for other performers, sensitivity of what's happening. I know that for my own practice, I've been really paying attention to the nuances of what's happening and how it affects me, even over Zoom. So running dance classes over Zoom, teaching over Zoom, I feel like I'm missing a huge part of the conversation as a teacher when I see maybe I see somebody standing straight up and down and I get to see most of their body, but I'm still missing this 3D effect. Or sometimes you just see somebody's eye because their phone is right here. So, and you want to teach to the best of your ability. And I think I do that. I don't know. I question that all the time too, but you're constantly being sensitive to the needs of the people in this room, whether it's on Zoom or in live practice more so because you recognize that it's really important to know and to be sensitive to other folks right now. Yeah. I find I realize how much we just pick up when we're alive together. You know, all our animal spidey senses that just are drawing in information all the time. And I feel like my brain is just, it's looking, scanning, scanning, scanning and can't find it on the screen. And it's, it can be a little panicky. <laughs> You know, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I really feel that, especially with working with folks with disabilities. Maybe not especially, but I feel like not everybody communicates in the exact same way. It's not, it's not neurotypical. And so you want to be looking for different cues, but you're only getting half of the picture. So what cues are you missing? And I feel anxious as a teacher to be sensitive to my participants and be like, I want to support you. What am I missing? Yeah. It's that, that caring. Yeah. And how do we, how do we send that out through this weird little screen? Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge right now, but I think too, like just being together, like we can't be together in the same space, but we're sharing the same time. Yeah that kind of holds us as our, I'm going to use it again, sorry, sanctuary. (laughs) Okay, here's a question. Ideas, artists, things that are inspiring you 
right now that are giving you a little bit of like wind beneath the wings or whatever interest energy oh I feel right now that I'm very cerebral. Every time a new idea comes, I'm just thinking about it or taking information in and not quite knowing how to process. But by accident, I had an experience where I saw somebody dance in two screens on Zoom. So you saw the top part of their body and then the back part of the back part of their body because there happened to be two cameras. And it gave me a more sense of 3D And so like things that are inspiring me are a sense of where you get a sense of more in dance. Um, How can you see and experience in a way that fulfills that need that we're missing for live performance? Right. And it could be in kind of surprising places. Yeah. That's really interesting. Like where we get a sense of more. Yeah. Nice. I mean, like that's something to keep our eyes or ears or senses alert for, where is the more? Because it's not going to be in the places that we were looking for it before. Exactly. I think that's true. And again, I'm being cerebral about it. And by cerebral, I mean, I'm thinking about it and I may have words and sometimes I don't have words and it's just sitting in the back of my head and I'm just trying to think through this new idea. So I think maybe that might be November. It might be the gloomier days, might be the darkness, but I'm feeling very cerebral about dance and how do you document dance? How do you, how do you dance in a different way? How do you dance alone that brings connection? That's one I've been working on for the past six months is how do you create connection when you're alone? And how does, how do you, and also how can you support each other? Um, for this dance film I'm making with my friend who lives in the UK, we've been really working on the idea of how do you create a duet through distance and exploring what the essence of that is. And one of the things is how do we be support for each other while we create our own solos and, and film our own work? And what, what are the ways that we need as artists and as disabled performers to be supported And my answers may be different than somebody else's answers, but it's been really interesting to work in that process of what does a duet mean? And like, what does support mean? That is amazing. And seems like to really put some time into and thought into what does support mean for you in this time in relationship, virtual relationship? Have you discovered anything that surprised you about yourself or about your collaborator I think, I think it's how much I dislike, like how hard it is for me to just get into my own dancing body if it's just me alone and how surprising just having somebody there to dance for even a few times before you let them go, it helps you settle. And like having this, like a tiny bit of feedback, even if it's, you're doing great, you're looking good. It's, it's important how somebody holds space for you, um, whether it's through words or just through watching. That's really surprised me of these different methods that work for one another. Yeah. Absolutely. I find it so very hard. I work alone a lot, but it, if I know somebody's going to be there, even if it's just briefly, like it's that supporting witness, the witness. I've said this before on this podcast, but, you know, as performers, sometimes, you know, especially for the 
the non, the people who don't know what we do. It's like, just that, oh, you just want the attention. You just want to perform like that perform almost like it's like not a nice word instead of, and what I think what you're talking about is the profound sharing, like real connection with your collaborator, with your audience and with yourself too, and how potent and important that is, especially right now. Yeah. And how that transforms how you work or how you feel because dancing alone. Yeah. Even trying to create, I mean, use the word sanctuary, your own little dancing sanctuary, especially if you're dancing outside part of my film, I'm filmed outside and you have the strangest things. Like you'll have the camera that's obviously there and they'll walk right in front of it. This funny experience was I danced toward my camera. I danced away and then watched as somebody was like paused while I danced forward. And as soon as they went away, gave themselves permission to walk in front of it. I was like, now I have to start again. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing so well, but now I lost it. And then also with disability, um, I was just finishing this like wonderful run and I'm balancing on a bike rack. I'll give you that much. And this person who's in construction carrying one of those um, barricades says, that's really great for you, isn't it? Oh, that's so good for you. Good for you. And like completely messed up the recording. Oh, (laughs) man. Don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yes, I can play off of different objects, but I don't know how it's good for me that it's really great for me. (laughs) It's great for dancing and it's wonderful that I found them. (laughs) It would be great for the camera if you would get out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) You can be seen, just not heard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Okay. Uh, just a couple more questions. And then, um, so do you have, and you've already kind of talked about this, ways you're like staying creative, like, cause it's hard right now. Do you have some methods you could share? Methods for being creative. I was looking over this and I was thinking, oh, right now, just to be busy, I have different projects that I've put in place. Um, so I think I've been really lucky that I've had other people be like, do you want to work on this? And I'm like, yes. So I think my my way of being creative is saying yes to projects and being open to new ideas to be creative and also giving myself permission to become a little shell and hide away for a little while. And that it's like, it's okay not to be on or working all of the time so that when you do work, you can really be invested. Yeah. That's such an important thing. And then I think that, um, And I've heard so many artists talk about, you know, like, I got to stay busy and I got to do all these things, but also just like, yeah, busy, say yes, collaborate, do the things, but also allow for that going inside. And I think like you already said too, like this time of year, dive in, give yourself some permission to, to not do, it'll come around. It'll come around. Yeah. I'm thinking that too. I'm also really creating. This podcast is effing good. Um, So I think one of my ways of saying my plan to stay creative, because I will admit I haven't done this yet, is to actually just schedule time for myself to go into a deep somatic practice at least a couple times a week, because I feel like I'm missing that in my body. 
my body's more creaky in certain ways and I'm not feeling as grounded in my work. And I think if I can reinvest into myself in a somatic practice, I think that would help a lot and invigorate my brain as well. Do you find that being like in the screen all the time, even when you're teaching, I find this like I'm theoretically in my body, but I'm just not quite in my body because I'm focusing on the image. Yes, exactly. And so when I'm teaching, I try to like come up with cues to give people permission to be in their backspace or feel their backspace. And I might be my sneaky way of convincing myself to feel my backspace and feel and sense things with the rest of my body. But yet I always go back to the screen and there's always watching yourself. It's this, it's like having mirrors all the way around a room and it'd be so nice to just not watch myself. But when the opportunity's there, I just can't seem to let it go. It's all, it's, I know me too. It's almost impossible, isn't it? Um, and it like dancer experience too, of like spending a lot of time in front of mirrors. And when we have the opportunity of going in like to that internal somatic, like you say, practice, just like come back to what this experience is of being, being in this body right now. Yeah. And not worrying about what it looks like and yeah, just figuring out what it feels and how to move. I've been working with Donna Redlick. Well, I worked with Donna Redlick a lot in the spring and summer. Um, and I'm hoping to work with her a little bit more. And I feel like she's really helped me connect to parts of my body that I thought were lost. So that's been really incredible. Donna is an amazing, amazing dancer slash dance worker, <laughs> movement therapist, <laughs> dance teacher. <laughs> she's incredible. I will link to her as well. Yeah, she's got like such a depth of knowledge. She does. And always open to new experiences and learning and just always excited about new possibilities. And that's one thing I want to continue investing in myself is to always be excited about new possibilities and new experiences. Yes, totally. Right. That's just a gem, a gem. One last question, although I have more questions, but you know, we could go on. Um, (laughs) This is really, really interesting stuff that you're talking about and you're thinking about. Um, One last question I want to ask is how do you hope that this quote unquote time, this weird time, it's weird in so many ways and challenging and difficult in so many ways, will change art making or artists? Do you have any thoughts about that? I think just to go back to a few things I touched on is how important witnessing and audiencing is for a performer and how that helps hold space. I think re-examining that relationship and maybe how that relationship will then reimagine how we work as dancers. Yeah, I think it's a new conversation that's happening about this importance. And I think that's going to create some new ripples. And also really this question of what is dance now and kind of throwing out the old rule book. And do you dance to create a performance? Do you dance to dance? What is the purpose of dance? All of these questions. And I think it might, who knows what will come out of it. Also, One thing that I haven't mentioned is I know a lot of people with disabilities who work and live remotely and being able to dance on camera or dance on Zoom has profoundly impacted how they have access to dance. And that I think, I hope will stay 
once COVID changes, because as much as it is amazing to dance in person in a class-based setting, to have access to dance in any form is really important and really crucial. So I hope that we continue to provide access for those who have no energy to get to a dance class or live in a city that would not provide an accessible dance class and allowing that practice to continue. Yeah, so true. There is that coming together in this strange time in, this, in a really great way. Yeah, I hope we can hold on to I think we will. I think because it's just so inspiring to know somebody else's that we're all out there and to see each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else? Is there anything that's just like a TV show, a recipe, anything that's like giving you a little bit of um, a little bit more juice in your life? Well, I'll share this other craft that I've picked up and I've started needle felting. So it's a process of taking raw wool and shaping it into objects. So I've been learning that craft and shaping things and designing. I'm not great at it yet, but because I followed this like needle felting magic and there's some magical things you can do with needle felting. But I think it's a good way to be creative in a way that's not dance so that when I go back to dance, I can feel reinvigorated about it and still be creative. Oh, that is cool. There's something so neat about needle felting. It's like all of a sudden there's this object. Yeah. You poke something a bunch of times and eventually it becomes something and shapes in front of you. And you don't need to know how to purl one, two, three. I can't knit. But you don't need that dexterity either. You just need to be able to stab something. Isn't that like a great metaphor for like life and art making? <laughs> you just need to be able to stab something. You need to be able to like poke something and then it, in a way, like I feel like sometimes when I'm in the studio, <laughs> so when you were saying that, I was like, sometimes I feel like I'm just poking this. I'm just poking it. And then all of a sudden you go in one day and you're like, oh, oh, I guess that it is a thing. <laughs> That is actually a really great way to put, to look at it. I think there's an importance to um, what you're saying about having, you know, a creative thing that is totally different from dance or whatever your main medium is, because I think it can like feed it, like using a different part of your creativity. Exactly. And it lets your dancing brain relax for a little bit. And I think there's always, you always need to relax and not think about and it can work in the background until you can bring it again and you're just more invigorated and excited about it because you've allowed that rest is so important. I think that's one thing just to go back to that we're going to carry forward is how so many dancers are recognizing the power of rest. Oh, is that not just like so important? Hey, I'm totally, yeah. There's that thing that you just like, you have to be dancing, dancing, dancing hard, 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 hard. and actually allowing space for rest for, like you just said, to put it in the back and your creativity, your brain, your body will be working on it. Yeah. Even while you're stabbing (laughs) at your fantastic felting. What is it I'm seeing? This It looks really cool. It's a pumpkin that I made around Halloween. So I added the leaves recently. Oh, that's cool. Will you send me a picture of that? 
to post if you would be willing. Yeah, I will see if I can take a good picture. I haven't been able to because when I get a picture, the light will pick up all the little threads and it'll look like completely too fuzzy. So I'm going to try to find ways to (laughs) maybe do it without a flash maybe. And then you can actually see the object and not just all of the little extra filaments. Right. It looks really cool. Thank you. It's one of my favorite needle felting projects that I've done. I recently did a fox that's not my favorite, (laughs) but not everything has to be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me. And I will link to your projects in the show notes. I can't wait to see what you're going to do next and hope to see you dance live sooner rather than later, even if it's from afar. Yeah, me too. And same, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated the time to talk with you and get to know you a little bit better too. It's so fun. We'll do this again. So take care. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. All right. Have a great night. You too. And that's it. Thank you so much, Harmony, for sitting down with me and having such a fantastic conversation. I really got so much out of it. I feel like there's so many great ideas and inspiration that Harmony offered. I feel like I have a little wind in my sails. And boy, do I want to start felting. Stabbing something until it takes shape? Totally. And I will link to Harmony's work and some of the other artists mentioned in the interview. So please rate, review, share this podcast. Donate if you can. TaraCheyenne.com, upper right-hand corner. Press the donate button and we'll put the link to donate in the show notes, as well as all the other links mentioned in the interview. Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne is a production of Tara Cheyenne Performance. You can get in touch with us. Instagram, Tara Cheyenne TCP, Facebook, Tara Cheyenne Performance, or email me, info at tarashayan.com. I would love to hear your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Mark Stewart Music is the producer, editor, and composer of this podcast. To get in touch with him, mark at markstewartmusic.com. Keep making shit up. Keep reaching out to each other. Keep wearing the mask. I know you're smiling or crying or whatever you're doing behind the mask. Me too. Be well. This podcast is effing good. good.